0: In this episode of The Called Out Cafe, I'll be talking about the real purpose of Bible prophecy. If you happen to be following along in my book titled, Watch, this is from chapter 4. But before we get started, let's see how well you know Bible prophecy. Don't panic. But are you prepared to interpret the events that are taking place around you in light of what the Bible has to say? You might want to just try out this test. The answers will follow. Now, don't cheat it's no fair looking up the answers in your Bible. Just try going by what you already know and have observed in the world around you. No one will ever know but you how you did. You're probably sitting there listening to this alone, right? So, here we go. First, the instructions. There's nine scenarios that follow. Choose one answer based on your knowledge of biblical prophecy. They're all multiple choice. Question one. You've just found out that a third of mankind in the continents of Europe and Asia have died from pestilence. It completely destroyed their economy. No one was unaffected by this tragedy. What best describes this event? A. The fourth seal of Revelation being opened, which speaks of plague and death. B. The third trumpet of Revelation is blown, which has to do with something like an asteroid falling on a third of the waters, resulting in poisoning and the subsequent death, of quote, many, unquote. C. The sixth trumpet of Revelation is blown, resulting in four angels being released that go forward to kill a third of mankind. Or D. None of the above. Question two. A government law enforcement official sits outside of a church during a late evening meeting. With state-of-the-art monitoring equipment, he watches people as they leave the building. His equipment finally registers the presence of the person he has been sent to find. This situation sounds most like A. The persecution of the church Jesus warned about in Matthew 24. B. The persecution of the church that takes place after the midpoint of the tribulation period. C. The persecution that takes place after the rapture of the church involving those who are left behind that come to know the Lord. Or D. None of the above. Question number three. In the midst of constant tragedies and conflict in Israel, a third party steps in to help facilitate peace by co signing a peace agreement with Israel. This agreement is A. The covenant spoken of by the prophet Daniel. B. Will last for seven years. C. Will last for 1260 days before it is broken by the Antichrist. D all of the above e none of the above question 4 attempting to revive the Roman Empire a dynamic evil tyrant sets out to destroy every living Jew this incident a takes place just after the three and a half year mark of the tribulation b takes place after Satan is cast out of heaven c is not mentioned in the Bible D is exactly what Revelation 12.13 speaks of when it talks about the dragon pursuing the woman into the wilderness. Or E, none of the above. Question 5. A well-known world religious leader claims to speak for God himself and has the full support of the ruling kingdoms. In fact, he's twisted his brand of religion to a point where people once again can be put to death for something as simple as possessing a Bible. This situation speaks of A, the false prophet, B, the second beast of revelation, C, the first beast of revelation, D, the dragon of revelation, E, both A and B, which was the false prophet and the second beast of revelation, or F, none of the above. Question number six. You have just learned that recently, in any given four-day period, it's not uncommon to experience 20 earthquakes or more in the area of the Pacific Rim alone. They range from a 4.0 magnitude on the Richter scale to a 6.0. What the world is experiencing is best described by A. Jesus in Matthew 24 when he speaks of earthquakes in diverse places. B. The earthquakes in various places spoken of in Mark 13 and Luke 21. C. The specific set of earthquakes mentioned in the book of Revelation. D. Both A and C. Or E. None of the above. Question number seven. On top of all of the other cashless society inventions, there's one that's used to gain entrance to attractions and businesses. Those guarding the gates must first scan the patron's hands for the mark that has been placed there. It's invisible to the naked eye. This situation is probably best described by A. The mark of the beast mentioned in Revelation chapter 13, B. The seal of God spoken of in Revelation chapter 7, C. The cashless society that comes about just after the secret rapture, or D, none of the above. Question number eight. A dynamic evil figure orders his troops to take control of the temple in Jerusalem. Following this, he enters the temple himself and causes pigs to be sacrificed on the altar. He sets up images of false gods in the very holy of holies and forces people to worship them. Those who refuse are threatened with the penalty of death. This clearly is A, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. B. It takes place exactly 1260 days after the Antichrist enters into a covenant with Israel. C, the action that is a signal for those who are in Judea to flee to the hills. D, the last action that we'll be able to see before the severe persecution of the church takes place, or E, None of the above. Last question, number nine. People willingly follow the leader of the Western world who actively persecutes Jews and Christians. Christians are being put to death without trials. In spite of his claims that he's some sort of deity, he becomes well known for his sexual immorality. In the middle of executing his political agenda, he subjects a young man to transgender surgery and then marries him. This is, A, an example of societal decline and people's refusing to, quote, love the truth, unquote, indicating that we are in the last days. B, a fulfillment of the prophecy concerning the Antichrist having, quote, no desire for women, unquote. C, both A and B, or D, none of the above. Okay, so how do you think you did? Uh, Some probably couldn't help but notice the similarities of the different scenarios with modern-day headlines and the events of history. Now, let's go through each question one by one. So first, question number one, uh, concerning a third of the population dying. Well, what I had in mind was the Black Death, the plague that the world experienced from 1348 to about 1351. It wiped out much of the known world's population. It's estimated that a third of mankind died during the plague. Uh, My point here is knowing a little history puts things into perspective. The answer was none of the above. Second question concerned government monitoring. Remember the guy standing there watching what's going on in a church with an electronic device? Uh, Well, the government official that I had in mind was me. It was some years back during my time as a deputy sheriff assigned to the electronic surveillance program. Uh, similar to the program that Martha Stewart was placed on when she got out of prison. I was working, uh, doing some checks on a what we called client who's who was on house arrest. She was supposed to be attending an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting at the church. Her ankle bracelet put out a signal that allowed me to confirm that she was actually where she was supposed to be, and it, I didn't have to intrude in the meeting to find that out. Well, the point here, sometimes not having all of the information before we draw conclusions is dangerous. The answer to number two was, again, none of the above. Question number three regarding a peace agreement that was signed. Well, what I had in mind here was the Oslo Peace Accord Agreement of the early 1990s. Israel has entered into many agreements with other countries, and oftentimes they are confirmed by other powerful nations, such as the U.S., Oh, it's good to be aware of modern-day political developments. The answer, again, none of the above. So question four, if you'll remember, had to do with a tyrant who attempts to destroy the Jews. Of course, uh, uh, what I was thinking of here was Adolf Hitler, and I wrote that question. Although Hitler was obviously not the Antichrist that was in power when Christ will return, He may have been one of the seven Antichrists spoken of by the Apostle John. Certainly he's got the, or he had the same characteristics of the previous Antichrists. So the principle here is it's important to be familiar with Scripture in order to know how everything fits together. The answer again was none of the above. Question number five concerning the religious leader. I had in mind here all of the Roman Catholic popes of the Middle Ages who caused people to be burnt at the stake for simply possessing a Bible or giving aid to those who translated or printed Bibles or didn't it even adhere strictly to the teaching of the Church. The answer, once more, none of the above. So concerning earthquakes in question number six, the period of time that I looked at for this information was May 4th, 2001 to May 7th, 2001. I found the information on the USGS, the United States Geological Services website. You'll find roughly the same type of information on any given day for any given time period. More than anything else, when I listen to modern prophets talk about how we're in the last days, I hear people talking about earthquakes in various places as some sort of a proof that we're living in the last days. It's like, well, there's more earthquakes now than ever. Well, when you go and look at the actual data, there's not been any increase in earthquakes since they have been recorded. Only our awareness has increased. So here it's important when you hear claims such as this to check them out. When we make claims, we want them to be credible. The answer again in question six was none of the above. Question seven, regarding a cashless society. So uh, this technology has existed at Disneyland, among other places, for years. They stamp your hand, or they used to anyway. Now you have a card with uh, an invisible ink, which is only visible under a black light. The mark usually looks like something like Donald Duck. It washes right off. We're surrounded by cashless society technology. Uh, you don't have to wave around your dollar bills. Credit cards are evidence of that. Um, microchips are so 1980s at this point for these kind of theories. Now they've just got biometric measurements that they can tell who you are and tie that to all sorts of information. Um, and besides all that, the Bible, it never mentions a cashless society. And we'll talk more about that. Again, familiarity with scripture is imperative. The answer to question seven is none of the above. Question number eight, the dynamic evil figure. Well, in 167 BC, according to historian Josephus, there was a Greek Seleucid king named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He desecrated the temple in Jerusalem before the birth of Christ. Roman General Titus did it again, in A.D. 70, after the resurrection of Jesus, you know, years afterwards. Although something like this will one day again happen, I had the historical events in mind. The answer to question eight is none of the above. And the last question, number nine, people following an immoral leader. So who I was thinking of here was Emperor Nero sometime around A.D. 66, He married his slave boy named Sporus after having castrated him. Nero was a persecutor of Christians, perhaps like no other has ever been, at least on the local uh, level in, in Rome. As immoral as society had become, and bad as things were for Christians in Israel under Emperor Nero, Jesus did not return then. In fact, years after Nero's death under Emperor Constantine, Christianity was legalized and accepted. In that sense, things got better when it looked like the end. Yet Rome ultimately collapsed. Now I'm not saying that one thing has to do with the other, but in order to address those that say that a nation's acceptance or rejection of Christianity is a sign of the impending age of the end of the age, I gotta point out that it was only after the wide acceptance of Christianity by Rome that the Roman Empire ultimately collapsed. The answer to question nine, yes, yep, it was none of the above. Truthfully, I could have included an answer option on each question that would have said, not enough information given, and it would have been the correct answer on most questions. The other answer I could have included with some questions is, the Bible doesn't even talk about this or specify that level of detail. That would have been a good option. The big point that I was going for here is that we have to be careful when applying Bible prophecy to circumstances we're experiencing or hear about. Reading headlines or incomplete information into Bible prophecy is risky. Things one day may seem like it's the end when it's not. This has repeatedly been the case throughout the last 2,000 years. Well, there are many reasons God gave us the inside scoop. The word prophecy can mean a couple different things. It can take the form of any divinely inspired utterance given by a prophet. It doesn't have to be about what's going to happen in the future. The most common way that we define the word is it concerns the predicting of future events. In the case of Bible prophecy, I'm writing about the divinely inspired revealing of future events. It's said that 27% of the Bible is made up of prophecy. There are many reasons why God provided so many prophetic passages to us. I could never say that there is just one specific reason for it. However, there are many ways to misuse it, as I just showed you with the quiz I just gave you. Hopefully you aren't still too upset about the trickery I used to make a point. But continuing to look at misuses of prophecy, let's attempt to get at the appropriate use of prophecy through the process of elimination— Like I talked about in the last podcast, our job as modern-day believers, while we await either our death or the return of Jesus, is to be watchful and engaged in doing His business until we see Him. It's not to further prophesy about His return. We are to be readers of capital T, truth, not authors of our version of it. Trying to predict a specific future, naming names and dates, superimposing nuclear bombs over imagery and revelation, are all examples of misuses of biblical prophecy. Speaking authoritatively about who the Antichrist is or will be, when the Bible only indicates that positive identification is possible after he performs specific acts, is adding to Scripture. Those that do so— are dangerously close to obtaining the title of false prophet, the kind that Jesus warned us about. Most popular end-times instructional books, such as The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey and Global Peace by the late Dave Hunt, among others, among many others, attempt to fill in information where the Bible does not. Scenarios contained in these books are based on current-day, some now-historical, trends technology, and political figures. For example, in his book, Global Peace, Dave Hunt attempted to make the case that the 1980s USSR leader Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist, and Pope John Paul II was his false prophet. At least 50% of this prediction died with Pope John Paul II. Mikhail Gorbachev fell from power when the USSR was dissolved in 1991, Although Gorbachev has since tried to start a new political party in Russia about three times since then, it doesn't appear this almost 90-year-old will be back into the global power arena anytime soon. Predictions like this are very common. The book of Revelation ends with a severe warning to anyone who would add to its contents. Jesus gave us exactly what to watch for. We don't need anyone adding additional details. It's one thing to attempt to interpret the Scripture and discuss possibilities where the Scripture are not clear. It's another to declare a theory to be true, as in God-inspired true, with a capital T, when it's really only a theory. Many unwatchful and unwise Christians have changed their lives based on such things. Sometimes when people find out that I study Bible prophecy, they ask, so who do you think the Antichrist is? They then seem disappointed somehow or draw the conclusion that I don't know anything about Bible prophecy when I answer, I don't know. I call this whole issue trying to, quote, pin the tail on the Antichrist, unquote. Here's how you play. Put on a blindfold and wander around a major football stadium full of a 100 million photographs of people and then stick a needle in one. Baby pictures and ultrasound images are okay to include since the Antichrist may not have even been born yet. Before the Antichrist is actually revealed someday, you'll likely have as much chance sticking the needle in the photograph of the Antichrist as anyone else who's trying to guess who he may be based on current trends and number crunching. So why are people attracted to end times books that attempt to fill in the blanks in their minds? In my opinion, one one reason is because people are looking for a Savior. That Savior, they think can come in the form of information. If they just know what will specifically happen ahead of time, maybe they can avoid it. In general, people, Christian and non-Christian alike, believe that the events that will take place at the end of the world sound like kind of a downer, to say the least. Whether you believe the world will end because of the ozone being depleted, or that the Antichrist will attempt to kill off all the Jews and Christians, for some reason, people pick up on the negativity of how that sounds. Of course they do. It's threatening. People feel as though they'll be helpless victims in such a scenario. So, they go looking for a rescuer or a savior. What's going on follows the classic model known as the Cartman Drama Triangle. This model was named for the guy who came up with the concept in 1968, Stephen Cartman. He was a doctor. People tend to set up the drama triangles in their lives when they feel threatened. For example, your boss is mean because he or she won't give you a day off. Your boss is the persecutor, the first part of the triangle. You look to your coworker to console you and maybe give you some advice on how to get the day off anyway. He or she is your rescuer, the second part of the triangle. You, of course, are the helpless third part of the triangle, the victim. In the case of the end of the age, the obvious persecutor are the trials and tribulations that are associated with the period of time. Those who will be in existence then, potentially us, are the victims. Additional information and details, especially those that may indicate there's a way out of suffering, can be considered the rescuer. Sometimes this rescuer may come in the form of an author of a book, a cult leader, or even the pastor of a church. Being rescued is why many Christians want to hold firmly to the pre-tribulation rapture theory. That belief provides a way out from possible suffering at the hands of the Antichrist. People hold to this theory most of the time, not because it's supported by a superior scriptural case, but because it promises that they'll be rescued. People go looking for more information to rescue or save them from the oncoming badness. After all, If there was some hidden information that could save your hide, wouldn't you want to know it? I would. The problem is, the Bible provides us with all the information we need regarding the end of the age and the second coming of Jesus, and it tells us that the only Savior that we can count on is Jesus. No other information provided by anyone else, save his apostles, will ever possibly serve as our rescuer. Your only hope is to rely on Jesus and be familiar with the information that he and his apostles gave us regarding his return. Come what may, Jesus is our only one and true rescuer. As I pointed out in the last podcast, people fail to study prophecy because the real thing may not be exciting or contain enough drama for them. This is what drives another misuse of prophecy. It can be heard on most days, as you tune into any number of popular Christian television prophecy-based shows, that the world is ending. It amazes me how many times I've heard the phrase, We are seeing prophecies being fulfilled every day. How exciting! How many times can these same prophecies be fulfilled over the last 40 years that have to do with the event of the Lord's return? It's like the Bible saying that people will continue to sin, and then every time somebody does, it's pointed out as a fulfillment of prophecy. Such statements seem to be made only to sensationalize normal, day-to-day events, as though designed to keep people's interests up. This is likely in order to draw support for what some call a ministry, and others call a scam. There actually are prophetic events that will manifest themselves in an ongoing trend. When they occur, it won't be a one-time event. Consider the following passage. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That's found in Matthew 24, verses 10 to 12. This is a prophecy that will come true many times in the last days and will involve many people. The difficulty is figuring out how this prophecy is different than what's occurred in the past and what's occurring in our world right now. In in order for this to be considered what I call a hard sign, there would need to be a very dynamic and significant increase in this type of activity. Whereas one person may write a book or preach from the pulpit that we're in a time where people are abandoning the truth, turning away from the one true God, and even converting to Islam, I can quickly do the same quality of research on the Internet that brought them, brought them to their conclusions and show you how millions are converting to Christianity from Islam. I can show you how Africa will be 50% Christian by the year 2050 and how crime is down in much of the world. I can give you statistics on how life expectancy is longer now than ever, and how many, many other things people associate with the end of the world are not possible to judge from our finite human perspective. For almost any modern-day situation that you can point to as a sign of the end of the age, I can point to events in history that are more serious or are better examples of what Jesus said will serve as signs of the end of the age. Jesus warns about these types of things in the Olivet Discourse. It's my opinion That there were very few actual prophecies dealing with the end of the age that were completely fulfilled in the 20th century. Prophecies that I would call hard signs. I believe there were a couple, and they were very, very significant. However, we haven't seen countless prophecies fulfilled in recent history, as the claims of some sensationalists would suggest. Most of what we see is the product of living in a world that is groaning, travailing, and occupied by fallen creatures known as human beings. It's a world where Satan is alive and well, and not yet bound up in hell. It's a world that's been falling apart since the time of Adam. We must keep the faith, persevering in watching for the real events to take place, spoken of by Jesus and the prophets. I've often compared the Bible in regards to end times events to a template or a stencil that's designed to be held in front of you as the world passes by. Picture holding your Bible out in front of you, opened up, wide with pages facing you. Contained in your open wide Bible is a series of holes of various shapes and sizes that go completely through the pages and out the other side of the cover. Each of these cutouts represents a scriptural prophetic event The cutouts are specific in shape and size. Some of the cutouts are very intricate. They'd require something very specific to fill them in. Others are very basic and would be more easily filled. However, you'll notice that the details of what will fill the cutouts are missing. We have no idea what they'll look like. Only the outline of the shapes are present. I hope you're with me. So, some of the cutouts are stationary and never move on the page. They represent events that God has given enough detail in Scripture that we know that they are sequential. Yet, there seem to be other events that circle around the open pages, like the hand on a clock, because we don't know for sure, according to Scripture, when those events will occur in relation to the others. As you look through this template, or stencil you see the world passing by on the other side as we travel through this life one day at a time. Now, every once in a while, you'll see something occurring through the template that matches up really well with one of the cutouts. At times, you may even see good matches for two or three cutouts all at the same time. They pass by the other side, move into history, and the world does not end. So, this biblical template's not meant to be held up at an angle, like out to the front of you as you're traveling towards something, as if you're watching it come down the river. That'll mess up your perspective. And you should not try to look ahead to see what may fill the cutouts. The very angle of trying to look ahead skews the images and puts them out of focus. Trying to use your prophetic template to predict details in the future just will not work. Things will be hidden and out of proportion, and you'll miss things that are happening right in front of you. You need to keep your template right in front of you and examine the events as they come. Some attempt to identify ahead of time, based on what they know right now, the events, things, or persons that they believe could possibly be a good match in the future for the cutouts in the prophetic biblical template that we're talking about. They do this not knowing if those events, things, or persons will even be possible or in existence next year. They do this not knowing if a better match will be in existence next year. And, at the risk of sounding very judgmental, they arrogantly do so, failing to take into consideration that God's ways are far above our own, and His plan is far more detailed and complex than anyone could ever accurately guess at how it will turn out. Reversing of what we think the trends are now, it may be God's will that there will be a worldwide revival. There could be a plague that wipes out a large percentage of the people adhering to any of the world's fastest growing religions, thereby changing the dynamics of our current situation. The real estate that the United States currently sits on could go the way of every other kingdom and empire history has ever known. It could change hands several times. We've all just witnessed how fragile our democracy is. Jesus may not return for decades, centuries, or millennia. Those are details we don't have that the misguided and curious often try to provide. Filling in detail ahead of time, where none is given, distracts believers from their watchful mission. Focusing on unconfirmed theories, even when they're in the realm of the possible and plausible causes one to narrow one's gaze, and leaves him or her susceptible to an attack from behind their self-made blind spot. Where these theories are not accurate, spreading them, supporting them, or teaching about them as if they are missing details from the Bible, is to spread deception. I am purposely trying here not to be specific with examples currently found in our world, so as not to offend those who may be buying into such deception but I can say that we are surrounded by it right now. My prayer is that we would all be introspective about how we may be participating in it. But going back a few years, those who were wise did not speculate, for example, about how the late and former Palestinian Authority Chairman Arafat would become the Antichrist because of the way that he wore his turban resembled a, quote, little horn, unquote, which is spoken of in the book of Daniel. Instead, The wise will continue to study the scriptures and evaluate what's taking place in the world in light of those scriptures. They'll recognize that the Bible speaks of a few specific events in a specific order. And don't worry, we will eventually get to those. But until those events come about, they can rule out anything else as being end times events. They're not worth considering any longer. Earthquakes happen, plagues happen, evil happens. Almost all watching comes in the form of ruling out events as being end times related. Any one of the questions in the test I gave you may very well be how an event of the end plays out, but the fact is, none of them had anything to do with the second coming of Christ. Jesus has not yet returned. Most of the events mentioned, however, did on some level contribute to people believing that the end was near because of their misconceptions of how Bible prophecy is supposed to work. Preterists and Historicists are those that see the events that Jesus spoke of as largely taking place in the past. They pick and choose this event over here to fulfill one prophecy, and that event over there, which happened hundreds of years later, or even earlier, to fulfill another prophecy. They all ultimately fall short in that the prophetic events were supposed to accompany the second coming of Jesus. Although there are exceptions, few will argue that they think Jesus has already returned. One day, maybe in our day, those that are watching the world through our prophetic template, the Bible, will find that all of the cutouts are filled with a perfect match. At that time, they can declare, This is it. Since the time of Jesus, there have been many matches to some of the cutouts, but there's never been a perfect match to all of them and in the correct order. Until the time that that happens, we're called to be watchful by continuing to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures, to be aware of what's going on in light of what we learn, and to abide in Christ and do His business until He comes. It's said that there were over 300 prophecies that foretold the first coming of Jesus to this earth a little over 2,000 years ago. However, how many guessed or predicted correctly beforehand the who, what, where, and when, of the actual circumstances of Jesus' birth. After the fact, after the events had all taken place, all of the prophecies made sense to anyone who considered them. In this same way, to anyone who's watching, all of the prophecies will make sense once the actual events take place in the future concerning the second coming. In summary, the first function of biblical prophecy is to provide us with an after-the-fact confirmation. Biblical Prophecy Function Number Two Our Blessed Hope Christians would have nothing after this life to look forward to without prophetic scripture. We've been told what's coming and what eternity holds for us. Without that hope, the only thing we'd have to look forward to for sure is possibly waking up tomorrow and doing our best to live our lives in a fallen world. We would have a different kind of hope for eternity, one based on our guesses that a good God would surely do something nice for us after we die. The fact is that our good God has told us what we can count on if we put our faith and trust in Jesus eternal life that includes no sickness, pain, or sorrow. It's likely we'll have the capabilities of our risen Savior Jesus, who could fly without a plane walk through walls, walk on water, travel places instantly, and either be in the presence of humans in the physical realm or in heaven, in the spiritual. Although always in a servant role to King Jesus, we will one day rule this earth with him. Now we know in part, then we will know everything, at least what God wants us to know. All of this is exciting and very cool. Because of prophecy even though we know the world is going to get really, really bad. We know the ultimate cavalry rescue scene is going to take place at the end of the story. We know that followers of Jesus will be saved by him and that he will justly judge those who have chosen another way. Because of this, we can believe in ultimate justice. We also know that those who are in Christ will not ever suffer the final wrath of God. We know we will one day see our ancestors, family members, and friends who have died who also placed their trust and hope in Jesus. Because of biblical prophecy, we can know that there is much to look forward to. The second reason we have prophecy is because God wanted us to know about our blessed hope. The third biblical function of prophecy is instruction. Some biblical prophecy gives instruction on what to do once an event takes place. Take the following passage, for example. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him who's in the field return back to take his clothes. That's found in Matthew twenty-four fifteen to 18 The reader or hearer of this passage is clearly instructed that when they see the event referred to here take place, if they're in the region of Judea, they are to take quick action by fleeing into the mountains. These are very specific and rare prophetic instructions pertaining to the future. The fourth function of biblical prophecy is that of warning us. There may be several types of warnings given in prophecy, but I consider there to be two main types, conditional and non-conditional. Conditional Conditional being the case of an event taking place based on the actions of those who are receiving the prophecy, and unconditional being the case where an event is going to take place regardless of what anyone does about it. In both cases, the receiver of the prophecy is being warned so that they can be watchful. Here's an example of a conditional prophecy like I'm talking about. Repent, or else I will come to you and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. That's found in Revelation 2.16. Here, Jesus is giving the first century church in Pergamum an if-then-like warning. To paraphrase, if you don't turn around and change your ways, then- Count on some corrective action to be taken. Setting aside arguments regarding predestination and God's sovereignty for a moment, salvation itself, on the surface, appears to be based on conditional prophecies. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you will have eternal life. Of course, God knows ahead of time what will occur. It's His story that He has written. He has chosen those who will be saved. But from our human perspective and understanding, He's given people a choice with conditional prophecies. Non-conditional prophecies pertain to such things as the first and second coming of Jesus. God has a very specific plan. He graciously lets us know about some of His plans ahead of time, so that we may take appropriate action in response. With these different purposes of prophecy in mind, I'm going to do my best to not misuse it in the next podcast. As we begin to study what Jesus said to his disciples, it was towards the end of what was a very long Tuesday during the Passover week. Oh, that's about it for now. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H Ministries, and I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at com. or email me at doug at com. That's doug at d-o-u-g-h-o-o-l-e-y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless.